Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Rusty Quill presents. Hey everyone, Alexi Talanda here, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ostium Sagas. Did you know you can get access to a bunch more unreleased Ostium Sagas content? It's easy. Just become a supporting patron at the $5 level and above on the Ostium Network Patreon at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. On our Patreon, you'll get access to many new episodes of the Ostium Sagas you haven't heard before, as well as a bunch of other bonus content. Once again, that's patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. Now, I'd just like to thank some of our new patrons for supporting the Ostium Network. Thank you to Rob, Jedia Care, Bobby, Maggie, and Lelloberry for supporting us. We really appreciate it. Okay, let's get this Ostium Sagas episode started, shall we? The Ostium Sagas. Eighteen. Saga two. Sixteen sixty six. Part one. Author's Note As previously stated, the saga below is an exact reproduction to the best of the abilities of the scholars and copyists of the Conclave from the document heretofore referenced as the Slim Volume. Its language and meaning still remain shrouded in mystery and confusion, 
but the Conclave's hope is that one day it will be recognizable and understood by a future member of the Conclave. Hence its detailed and careful facsimile here. Recorder's note. Probably not a shocker to anyone, but when I cast my eyes on the second saga for the first time, and finally got the chance to start really reading this slim volume we've been hearing so much about, I saw it was written with the same cipher as the note that the writer of the previous saga used in his attempt to get in contact with the Ostium network. This was probably why he was so shocked at finding this document. A book that was clearly bound with a technology from the future, and written in a coded language that only he and trained members of the Ostium network would recognize, and be able to decipher. So let's get started, shall we? Saga begins. When I first stepped through the open doorway from the inception chamber to Ostium, it was just like any other time I'd done it, but also felt like a special first, because this time I'd be going through a door here and travelling back in time to one of the biggest and tumultuous events in England's long history, and I'd get to spend six months there seeing it all, and the aftermath, and then to come back here and back to the Ostium network and tell my unique story. If I had known what was going to happen to me once I got there, the sequence of events, would I do this all over again? I'm not sure. That's why I'm writing my story down, to see if I can find some answers, find out some whys, and see if I can find some meaning in the life I didn't really choose but had to live. Especially as those allotted six months now draw to a close. Maybe when I get to the end of the telling, I'll know if it's all been worth it in some way. We'll see, I suppose. Okay, let's get back to Ostium. Actually, no, let's introduce myself a bit first, just in case whoever might be reading my story would also like to know a bit about me. My name is Dana Lee, and I was born and raised in Long Beach, California. Went to high school there, then went to college at, you guessed it, Long Beach State. I never knew my dad, but my mom was this really amazing and very well-paid doctor who had a brain aneurysm while I was in college, and that was the end of her. Fortunately, it wasn't while she was performing surgery on someone. That would have really sucked. Anyway, I was heartbroken and everything, at being an orphan when I still had a year to finish college and start working on my teaching credential when all this happened. Because she was a brilliant woman, she had this massive life insurance policy in the event of her death, and before I knew it, I was almost a millionaire, which would make getting my teaching credential a lot more affordable all of a sudden. It also allowed me to get it in different subjects, which was great because I really loved history and loved the idea of teaching people about history even more. Why am I giving you my life story, you might ask? Because the stuff you're going to read later is really freaking out there, and you're going to appreciate this normal, down-to-earth stuff then. Let me tell you. I taught high school for four years, and as fun as awesome as it was, I wanted more. I wanted to dig deeper into the history. So I went back to school, USC, for a master's, and then a doctorate in history. Because money wasn't really a problem, I was getting the chance to follow my dreams. I graduated Dr. Lee, just like Mum, only a very different kind of doctor. I started applying for college-level teaching jobs across the country, casting my net far and wide, not knowing where I might end up. I'd have loved to stay in Cali, 
but with teaching jobs, beggars can't always be choosers. I got bites from more places than I expected, and flew out to each institution to check them out, get a feel for the place, oh yeah, and interview for the job. I'm really glad I did, as some colleges and towns I could tell just weren't the right place for me. A few others, I was going to be the only Chinese person for like a hundred miles. And for some others, I was going to be the only non-white person for like 500 miles. I started getting kind of depressed over it all. None of them seemed the right fit, but I needed a job. The impressive savings wouldn't last forever, and I wanted to teach history at this level. And then someone got in contact with me locally. They said it wasn't a teaching job necessarily, at least not the kind of teaching job I was looking for but there would be some unique research opportunities available that I wouldn't find at any other job in the world. I got to admit, I was instantly curious. Plus, the interview was at a cafe on Belmont Shore. I didn't need to be asked twice to pay a visit to my old haunts at the LBC. And that's Long Beach City for you fools that don't know. And it was there that I first heard the word and about the town known as Ostium. The Ostium Sagas Nineteen Saga Two Sixteen Sixty Six Part Two They wouldn't tell me a thing until I signed this tight NDA. You know, non-disclosure agreement, so I don't divulge any secrets or really anything they're about to tell me. And if I do, they'll sue the pants off of me. As I was reading through it, more as a pretense than actually checking the legal language for any mistakes or loopholes, I was really wondering what could this job be that would need me to sign this NDA before we could even start the interview. Some people might be put off by this and want to bail. Me? I got a thrill of excitement. Whatever was going on here, I wanted to know more. After it felt like enough time had passed, I signed the damn thing and pushed the data pad back over to the person on the other side of the table. Then I took a sip of my plain black coffee, which had been steaming and ready for me when I arrived. Not exactly a hard guess to make about what I like to drink in the coffee department, but still kind of impressive, nevertheless. 
and then I listened to one of the most incredible stories of my life, at least up to that point. I was told I would be working for the Ostium Network if I chose to take the position, which they thought was likely. I asked the interviewer why they thought that was. Their name was Jean. They said because everyone they'd interviewed and offered a position to so far had taken the job, because it was a very unique opportunity, the once-in-a-lifetime type. They had also done a full background check on me and felt I would be ideally suited to the position. Okay, I said, pretty damn surprised at being told all these details that aren't usually revealed in an interview, but doing my best to hide it. Even though I was getting more and more excited by the second, I didn't want to appear too obvious, even if they might already know this much about me. So what exactly is the job? I asked. Zhang looked around, I'm guessing making sure no one was watching or overhearing us. They'd chosen a partly secluded booth in the cafe, so I thought we were okay but having them do this definitely made my heart start beating a few beats faster. What was going on here? They took a breath and started talking. Not many people know about the Ostium Network. It is a very secretive corporate entity that was started by a very rich man who also chooses to remain anonymous at all costs. It is possible, once I started working for the Ostium Network, that I might one day meet him, but it was extremely unlikely. Few have. I asked Zhang if they had ever met him. They paused for a long ten seconds, then said, Yes, they had. But I should not ask them for details, they would be giving nothing away. The Ostium Network specialised in studying historical sites all over the globe and covering all periods. If it was in the past, the Ostium Network was interested. What made them unique over other academic institutions was the novel technology they used when accessing these sites. Nothing like it had ever been used before, and it afforded a large amount of data, context and detail that either usually wasn't available at these sites, or was only after decades of study and research. Zhang said with this technology, findings were made within days that would usually take years. At this point, I was ready to sign any contract they put in front of me and get started. I couldn't wait to see what this technology was and to start using it at one of these sites. The thought of finding something completely new that had never been discovered before was, well, only in my dreams, shall we say. But I took a deep breath and hid it by drinking more of my coffee, which I hadn't touched since Zhang started talking. Then I asked why they thought I would be a good researcher for the Ostium Network. As the words came out of my mouth, I dreaded that I'd just made a terrible mistake. You're supposed to sell yourself in an interview, right? Make yourself look better than you really are? Or at least the best version of yourself that you can be? But Jean quickly answered, perhaps sensing my consternation, saying that it was a very insightful question, and an important one. I should know why it was that the Ostium Network was particularly interested in me before I was offered a position and signed any contract. They said that the Ostium Network knew of my extreme passion and love for history, as my own history had shown. They then waited for me to react to this little joke they'd just made. I was so hooked on their words, I didn't realize they'd made a joke, and then replayed the words in my head and snorted. It was pretty amusing. After hearing my reaction, they continued on, 
It was a little odd, and under different circumstances, I might have thought it pretty strange, with how they had waited for me to laugh at the joke. Almost made it seem mechanical. But as I said, I was aching to hear more and didn't care at that point. It was my interest in a wide breadth of history that particularly interested them. Usually, as people advanced academically, pursuing further degrees, they tended to specialize, and so it was expected that a scholar of history, like myself, would specialize in a particular area or period of history. But I had not. I had remained open to all history, essentially. I seemed to have only one prerequisite. So long as it happened in the past, had already happened, I was interested. Zhang said they only had one more question for me, even though my answer would not in any way affect my chance for the position. As they had made relatively clear already, they thought the job was mine if I chose to accept it. The question was, why was I so open to studying all eras and times of history? Oh, that's easy, I said. It's because I'm truly fascinated by all history. I marvel at the way the human mind works, the human condition, and how people go about their daily lives, no matter their position or economic level, and no matter if it is from ten years ago, a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand. It is all fascinating to me to see and understand how humanity survives and thrives. That is my goal in life. Time I'd finished my cold cup of coffee, I'd accepted the position with the Ostium Network. The Ostium Sagas. Twenty. Saga two. Sixteen sixty six. Part three. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Once all the legal details had been taken care of, I was told to meet someone at LAX. Thinking I was going to be flown somewhere exotic and incredible, I could barely contain my excitement. But after getting off the bus at the international terminal at the bottom of the U-shaped concourse, I saw a tall man holding a sign with my name on it. He said hi, checked my ID, and then led me over to a very fancy-looking self-driving Maserati. He had an Australian accent, which I thought was really cool. I couldn't help gasping in delight once I was seated in the back and the man got in the driver's seat. We headed to a part of the terminal I hadn't seen before and were waved through a secure gate after the man showed them a special identification card. It all felt very James Bond, I have to say. We went through a short tunnel and then I saw we were on the tarmac where the planes are all around us. It was pretty crazy. The man knew where he was going, turning at specific points and then ahead I saw the Maserati equivalent of a helicopter damn sexy, basically. He pulled up in front of it and got my door, letting me know this was my ride and to get aboard. The rotors had just slowly started spinning, and unless I wanted to have a really bad hair day, I'd better get aboard. I didn't need to be told twice and climbed up the short ladder into a cabin of luxury. The door slid shut behind me and I picked a plush seat and put my seatbelt on. The door to the cockpit was open and I could see the pilot, who looked like he might be the twin brother of my chauffeur. I had a quick look out the window to make sure it wasn't him somehow and he hadn't just snuck into the cockpit. But no, the blood-red Maserati was now driving away, and I could see the man inside. It was then that I realized even though the vehicle had been self-driving, the man had kept manual control on. I suppose there was a specific reason for that. The pilot was making hand signals, cupping his ears over his headphones. I looked down and saw a pair in front of me and slipped them on. It had been getting pretty noisy in the cabin as the helicopter prepared to take off and those rotors started whirring at crazy fast speeds. Now I could hear him like he was sitting next to me in a quiet room. His voice sounded exactly like my former chauffeur's, accent and all, and even though he was busy clicking toggles and pushing buttons and completing his pre-flight check, he must have managed to catch my extremely surprised face, because he soon cleared up the confusion by saying yes, he was the identical twin of the bloke who'd driven me here in the Maserati. But before I could probe him for more info, the checks were complete and I felt the helicopter softly lifting off the ground like a magic carpet. Once we were in the air, I tried getting some answers from the pilot about where we were going, but he wouldn't give anything away and would only talk about the fancy chopper and nothing more. So I sat back and looked out the window, enjoying the view. It didn't take long before we were flying over water, and I tried asking how long the trip would take. 
I did get an answer. An hour. There were drinks and snacks available if I wanted any. I just enjoyed the thrill of flying around in a luxury helicopter. A taste of celebrity life, you know? When it got close to an hour, I started looking around for something we could land on, and there wasn't a floating anything in sight. Just lots and lots of water. And then we kind of stopped moving forward and started descending. I looked down and saw a small floating pontoon of some sort, with a big H on it far below. It looked really small, but thankfully got a lot bigger the closer we got to it. We waited until the rotors had come to a complete stop. Then the pilot got out and slid aside the cabin door for me. I hopped down and felt the ground swaying from side to side. Because it wasn't ground. The pilot pulled out some sort of tablet, pressed a few things, and then alarms started going off. The pilot told me to stay calm and just keep still. I did my best, and he actually put a supportive arm around my shoulders that usually would have set off alarm bells for me, but in this specific situation, it was actually comforting. I literally jumped when the waters nearby broke apart and something started rising from them. I stifled a scream, thinking it was some leviathan creature, and we were totally screwed and about to be eaten. And then I saw it was mechanical. It was a damn submarine, all shiny and fancy, much like the helicopter in the Maserati. I let out a now excited pent-up breath as the sub fully surfaced and then a mechanical gangway started extending from it to the pontoon, while a hidden hatch opened on the sub. When the gangway was in place, the pilot told me to cross over onto the sub. I asked him if there might be a third identical twin on the submarine. He laughed and said no, there were just two of them. I crossed the gangway quickly, ignoring the open water on either side, and then stepped onto the submarine. There was a big O decal on the side, for the Ostium network, I assumed. Then I went inside the sub. Ostium Sagas. Twenty one, Saga two, sixteen sixty six, part four. It was gorgeous. Think, the hunt for Red October, with the cramped spaces and everyone yelling and just throw that away. Excise it from your mind. Then think Captain Nemo and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. 
especially the movie version with handsome Kirk Douglas. And think of the awesome submarine that was just a marvel to behold. Think of the spacious beauty and practicality of the Nautilus. And then add a bunch of cool and useful futuristic gadgetry, and we'll get pretty close to the unbelievable vessel I was travelling in. I was introduced to the captain and a small crew, and then told to sit where I liked. Once seated and belted in, the hatch was closed and secured, and then I heard the whirring of the gangway retracting. Shortly after we began descending, and it was just as awesome as I had imagined, passing into this underwater world, I was suddenly surrounded by a colourful, lively ocean life, and my mouth dropped open, my eyes glued to the porthole. Ten minutes later, I was served a deliciously fancy meal and the best glass of wine I've ever tasted. In fact, it was so good I had a second glass, though not as big. We travelled through the underwater swells for an hour or so, and then a warning came on the overhead speakers that we were about to pass into the Ostium network boundaries, and there would be a big flash and loud thump, which were all perfectly normal. I'm glad they warned me, otherwise it would have scared the crap out of me. As the light cleared, the water looked the same, but there was no longer any sign of marine life. It was like a water desert. The sub started descending, and as we broke the surface, I saw the rock of Gibraltar, and was rendered speechless as I now knew what had happened to the mysterious disappearance of the renowned landmark. It also told me if the Ostian network could make a mountain disappear and reappear somewhere else, was there anything they couldn't do? As soon as I set foot on dry land, on the island of Gibraltar, as I would soon learn, I had about a billion questions to ask, but I could tell by the number of people I could see walking around that I was just one of many here, a single member of a large community, and I'm sure anything I was about to ask whoever was in charge of orienting me had already been asked a thousand times. My wildest imaginings and expectations had already been completely smashed, so, for the time being, I was going to go with the flow. I answered yes to every question unless it warranted a no answer, and got signed in and welcomed to the Ostium network. I got my own place with my own new things, and a fresh wardrobe, and focused on just fitting in right away, which wasn't too hard because everyone was in the same boat, or was that submarine, and seemed just as excited as I was to be here. And then began the weeks and months of training, and while some grew bored with the repetition and redundancy in endless classrooms, I couldn't get enough of it, because I still wasn't completely sure what the end goal was, other than the hints and clues Jean had given me. But whatever it was, it was going to be amazingly awesome, and I was totally there for it. After the introductory training, we finally got told what the job would entail. Nothing special, you know, just travelling to a secret town with no people and lots of doors, which happened to be able to take you to any point in time. The Ostium Network had apparently invented time travel, and they weren't telling anyone about it, except for the people at the network. You know, that feeling you get when you just manage to avoid something dangerous and scary and your heart's racing, and you say the expression, Whoa, I just dodged a bullet. Well, this was the complete opposite of that. I'd accepted a job and agreed to work for the Ostium Network, as had a number of other people, 
and now we were getting the chance to do something most people on the planet had only ever heard about through sci-fi movies and books. They even took us on a quick tour of Ostium, which was just amazing. We started more training, going over the time travel literature and scenarios so we'd have a better grasp of what time travel was possibly like. No one knew for certain what it would exactly be like until people started coming back from missions and sharing their stories. So in the meantime, we were learning everything that could be learned about the two words time and travel. And then as things moved closer to the first people being approved to do the first missions, we had to decide when we wanted to travel. It wasn't just a case of picking some random time and event and then just being okay with it. You had to submit this big full report about when and where exactly, how long you wanted to be there, and for what purpose. You had to outline your goals and what you hoped to achieve for yourself and the Ostium Network by travelling back to this particular place in time. This was obviously a tough decision for me, given my love of all history, so I had to think and hum and haw for a full three days until I settled on a specific time and place. The Ostium Sagas Twenty Two Saga Two Sixteen Sixty Six Part Five The year I picked was 1666, and the place was London, and the event was the Great Fire of London. A good chunk of the city was literally razed to the ground. I guess I could have chosen San Francisco in the 1906 earthquake. Pretty much all the city was either turned to dust and ruin by the quake, or burned to black ash and cinders by the unstoppable fire. But in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't really that long ago, and there was quite a lot of evidence and historical artefacts while 1666 was a lot farther back in the past, and because so much of it was wiped out, there isn't the same amount of evidence and historical relics to know exactly what happened. For a city that's been around for literally thousands of years, to be partially obliterated and having to start from scratch, there was so much that could be learned, for history, for society, for the world in general, and I just had to find out what it was really like back then. I submitted the reports, asking to stay there for six months. Yeah, I know that's a lot of time, but isn't time travel all relative and whatever? Nah, just kidding. But I wanted to see and experience what rebuilding such an important city would be like. I know it took many years to rebuild, 
but I thought six months would at least be as close as I could get. Whoever I talked to said like a week or two. One person went a whole month. I figured I'd just get automatically shot down. I was beyond shocked when my request got approved, along with everyone else's. I actually started doubting myself then. Had I made a mistake? Was this too good to be true? What was the catch? And if only I had known what I know now. Well, I'm not really sure what I would have done, and what would have made any sort of difference. Anyway, at the time I was over the moon. I wanted to go back in time like tomorrow, but I had to wait my turn, which took a couple weeks. In that time there were some people who came back from their trips and just raved about how awesome it was. I felt like I'd heard about a lot more people going through the doors, and more should have been coming back by then, but weren't. I figured at first I had my numbers wrong. Again, a poignant clue that could have told me so much, or at the very least raised my hackles, but I was just too naive, too excited. With each story of a successful trip and how truly incredible it was to travel back in time to all these places, I knew I had found my true calling in life, or to be more exact, my calling had found me and brought me to this unique place. I couldn't wait for my turn. And then the day arrived, and I did my best not to lose it. I got dressed in my specific period-appropriate garb. I'd gone through all the training for the language and speech patterns of the 17th century. I'd worked for over a month getting my accent just right, so I would blend in with the average person. We talked about the fact that as a Chinese person, I would stand out more in London in 1666. My cover story was that I'd be a tea merchant. It felt too cliché, bordering on racist to me, but I, perhaps stupidly, because I didn't want to jeopardise my chance of doing this in any way. I even had to change my accent a bit once we'd agreed on my assumed occupation to add more Asian-ness to the way I spoke. It made me gag a little. Actually, it made me gag a lot, and they could tell I was really uncomfortable with it, and who the hell wouldn't be, but reassured me that it would make me fit in better. Yeah, shocker. The people telling me this were white, but I powered through because I really, really wanted to time travel. We had our final two-hour meeting going over the action plan of where I would arrive in London when I went through the Ostium door. They glossed over what I would be doing there, but that was really up to me, as I'd be completely on my own, and any problems I encountered or got involved in would be mine to solve. Then we came to the last part of the meeting and the plan my return to Ostium. We pored over maps of the city, and the Ostium network had settled on a warehouse building near to the Tower of London. There was a specific door down a rarely used alley, meaning few ever used the door and it was mostly forgotten. An ideal door for Ostium time travel related use. The date and time exactly six months from my arrival was confirmed, and we were all in agreement on it. That was the really cool thing about Ostium doors. It didn't matter if the actual door was usually locked or bolted up tight, or was left ajar. When it was linked with the town of Ostium, it became its own special entity, and they could configure it to a specific date and time. Also, barring some unforeseen circumstances, I was given a window of a few hours to pass through the door, and at the same time over the next three days, should I run into some sort of trouble and not be able to make it back on the specific date. Anything beyond that, I was on my own was nothing else they could do. I felt completely fine with this and was fully confident I would make it to the door on the right date and time. 
and then I got to have one more day on the rock and going over plans and everything I'd be doing. I might have spent it differently had I known it would be the last day I'd be spending at the Ostium Network, ever. And then the time it felt like I'd been waiting for for so long was finally and almost surprisingly here. And while I was beyond excited, I wasn't nervous, because there were others who had come back in time and returned to tell the tale, and now it was officially my turn. I went into the inception chamber, waved at the person in the booth running the controls, and stepped through the door to Ostium. On the other side, I started jogging for the door marked 45, knowing exactly which way to go. When I got there, I took a deep breath, forcing myself to calm. Then I opened the door and stepped through to Friday, September 1st, 1666, at 10 a.m. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.